Yeager did something outrageous this week at development camp. He exhibited actual skill. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates that I hope you'll check out. Development camp ended Monday. I was out there in Cranberry covering that for DK Pittsburgh Sports. The scrimmage went on for, well, scrimmages, plural, a whole lot of endless three-on-three, for lack of a better way to describe it, for a couple hours. And it was more a, a test of endurance, I thought, than anything else. Because if you weren't in something at least approximating NHL shape, you weren't going to last till the end. That's a lot of ice for six total skaters to be covering for two total hours. Without getting into excessive digging at other recent development camps, which let's just say lacked skill, this one had one kid who was way, way above everybody else out there. And that, to the Penguins' considerable good fortune, was... The kid they just took in the first round, Braden Yeager out of the WHL, came not only as advertised, but probably beyond that. I don't know how many goals he scored. I definitely don't know how many assists he had. Like I said, this was just a whole lot of three on three, but it was a lot. And he had some quality within that. That I could see, and I'm talking about with my own eyes right across the way, was having an impact on the team's management. If you've never been out to the UPMC Lemieux Sports Complex, there's a a patio that comes out from the general manager's office that pretty much hangs out, not all the way over the ice, but really close to the edge of it. And that's by design. You want to be able to see the whole rink. You want to be able to study... Uh, especially when you get to the real training camp, but also something like this. And watching, for example, after Jaeger would score one of his goals, Mike Sullivan would look over to his right at Kyle Dubas, and Dubas would be looking back at Sullivan, and it's almost like you know, Sullivan's saying, are we sure this kid isn't ready yet? Well, he's not. He's not. I'm not going to blow this out of proportion. He's 5'11", if that but yeah, maybe close to it, and 170. And he has filling in to do, he has growing to do physically, I'm sure mentally as well, I'm sure positionally. And he's going to go back to juniors and he's going to eat some cheeseburgers and he's going to get stronger and all that other stuff. But the skill part of it, the natural talent part of it, it's there. And it can't be faked. And it can't be something that just pops up one day and disappears the next. To try to give you some picture of what I was watching, he's got a stride. He's got a powerful, low-centered stride. He's got an effortless left-to-right within that stride, although he, like everybody else, is a lot faster when he just goes in a straight line, which he's definitely not shy about doing. He's got a wrist shot. Boy, does he have a wrist shot. 
And when he scores, when he was beating these goaltenders, sometimes from distance, it was looking like it was a little bit too easy. And remember that the one thing the Penguins do have in these development camps, for the most part, is some promising goaltending. So these weren't like stiffs he was beating. It was just that routine. He had a breakaway really, really late in the scrimmage. And there were two things that stood out about it. One was that he'd been out on the ice for a long time. Two was that he had just covered for a defenseman. And I'm going to remind you, this is three on three, so it's all a little bit awkward. But he had just covered for a defenseman all the way back into the defensive zone, then was sprung for the breakaway. And you're thinking, he's just going to be completely out of gas. I thought I'd seen signs of him looking like he was out of gas earlier in the afternoon. Turns out I was wrong. And he goes in on the goaltender and just super casually flicks a puck, and I do mean flick, not shoot. He just flicks it through the five hole. I'm watching that, and I'm thinking, that looks like Daniel Briere. I don't know how many of you guys will go back far enough for that reference to mean anything, but Daniel Briere had this super annoying way of making goal scoring look really, really easy. And this kid not only has a similar stature and a similar skating style, but he's definitely got the finish arsenal to him. Now, Briere didn't have the long-range wrist shot that this kid has, so they're not identical players. You get the idea that this is promising. This is a player in the system who's actually going to be worth watching. And I think you're going to like him, too, meaning like who he is. Off the ice. Here's a little bit of the conversation that he and I had one on one after this session. Uh, this was when I'd asked him about his ability to speed up and then slow things down, which is also extremely unusual for any young player. But he was flying around the rink and then he'd make this super soft, slow pass to lead somebody. And I'm like, whoa, hey, what is that? So I asked. Yeah, I think watching a lot of hockey, I think you can learn quite a bit. And um, but yeah, I think try to take uh, you know a shoulder check and see see what options I have going into you know whether it's a corner with pressure. And, um, obviously helps when the guys are communicating a lot and, and pools was yelling for it. So uh, made it pretty easy for me to you know kind of just turn in and throw a quick uh, quick pass up there. But uh, yeah, I think I like to play fast and, and shoot the puck. But um, at the same time, uh, you know when the when the time's right, to, you know slow the play down a little bit. I think that. You know, I'm comfortable with uh, changing the pace and um, trying to make a play. Again, I don't want to take this too far. Please don't interpret this as me pumping his tires or predicting superstardom or anything like that. But my goodness, it was a breath of fresh air in that environment after years of so, so, so very little. When we come back, J1Q. This segment of Daily Shots brought to you by Family Table. Mom-inspired, chef-prepared meals delivered straight to your door. No prep, no mess, just reheat. That gives you more time for your family or hobbies. Go to FamilyTablePGH.com. Use the code DK40, that's DK40, for 40% off and free delivery on your first order. Order by noon Thursday for Monday delivery. Family Table, bringing families back to the dinner table.
J1Q comes from Carmen, who says, So, DK, what to do now with Jeff Carter and Mikhail Granlund? Do they fit at all into this new mix? Carmen, I could take the easy way out of this and just suggest that maybe, maybe Kyle Dubas can work some kind of magic, have somebody take on Granlin's contract or a big part of his contract. Heck, maybe he could parlay Granlin. Oh boy, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but into part of the exchange that would bring Eric Carlson from the Sharks. There actually is logic to that, but I really don't feel like elaborating on it because I don't want to get anybody's hopes up about a 102-point Hall of Fame defenseman headed here. So let's just say that all the doors aren't necessarily closed where Granlin's concerned. They are where Carter's concerned. There's just nothing you can do. Complete no-movement clause. So what do you do with them? I could dream up scenarios where one or both were to come to training camp and divulge that there were injuries that slowed them down and then they had some conditioning issue that was related to that and that and that and that and that and I could invent positions for them in the lineup. I could invent new roles for them. I am going to just say what it is that I'm really thinking here. I wouldn't play them. I just wouldn't. I know in particular, what Granlund could still possibly be capable of. Because he's only two seasons removed from having 72 points. Yes, most of those came on the power play, and that should have been taken into consideration before Ron Hextall made the worst trade we've seen in two decades. But there was at least something to be said for that. With Carter, you're talking about you know being good on face-offs and Really not a whole heck of a lot else at this stage of his otherwise terrific career. So I, if I were coaching, I wouldn't play them. I would really, really, really try hard to ensure, without much difficulty, I would presume, that I've got 12 forwards who have a better chance of helping me win that night's game than either of those two. Now that I've got that out of my system... You know and I know Sullivan's not going to scratch Carter. He's just not. He's just not. It's not going to happen. You guys remember the answer he gave me in Madison Square Garden whenever I point blank asked him after a loss there against the Rangers why he was continuing to play Carter. And he got respectfully, we, we have a really healthy relationship, but he wanted to get really spirited on that subject. And because I'm the one who asked, the spirited and the wide eyes and everything else came at me, which is fine. My job is to ask questions. His job is to coach. But that answered so many questions for me, including whether or not he was taking some sort of orders from above. Uh, Ron Hextall's telling him, you absolutely have to play Carter. You can't embarrass me, whatever. That, none of that. None of that. This was a coach making very, very plain that this was his call to continue playing Carter. I believe until I have reason to not believe that he'll continue to play Carter. As such, we're probably looking at a fourth-line center. 
situation. Uh, you're probably looking at, you know, something along the lines of Drew Connor and I don't know, on the right side, Valtteri Pustinen, Alex Nylander. But ideally, someone else will be able to make up for what Carter doesn't bring anymore. And for what it's worth, O'Connor and Carter actually, don't bite my head off for this, showed some signs of some chemistry when they were put together late last season. Again, don't don't take that and extrapolate it. The bar is really, really low. But I, I do think that Carter will be involved. Granlund, I, I'm just, I'm still surprised they didn't buy him out. There's so much more to gain from buying that guy out than from keeping him that I have to believe that there's something else afoot. If it's not Carlson, it's something else. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins, and we'll do another one of these tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.